again, it's T. Randolph and friends. Today I have the pleasure of having again uh, Pastor Sam Gallucci as a guest, and we're joined by uh, some special friends today, uh, Jenny and Guillermo. And uh, Sam, would you do me a favor, please, and uh, introduce them to yes, our audience? Yes, it's, it's such a privilege to be here with Guillermo and Jenny, uh, amazing man and woman of faith and amazing journey. They're part of our church community. They're part of the leadership here at the church, and uh, it, it's just really a privilege to be with them on your show. Okay, and uh, for you listeners out there, today is really a special day for for all of us, because I believe the, the, the journey of hope and the life story, we're going to hear from Jenny and Guillermo, who also are husband and wife, correct? Yes, absolutely. It's going to really impact us, and I'm, I'm kind of starting to get teary-eyed already. We haven't even started yet. Uh, Jenny, let me ask you a little bit. Tell us, uh, just uh, tell me uh, uh, what you and your husband do today, and then I want you to tell us how you got to this place, please. Um, so what my husband and I get the privilege of doing daily is um, kind of overseeing, being kind of an overseer to the population of the homeless. We get to daily wake up and um, just be excited about what the Lord has in store for us each day, ministering to the broken, ministering. So you're working here at the Harbor correct, Church. Correct, correct. And, what, and uh, are, are you and your husband assisting Pastor Sam in reaching out to those who are broken and homeless and needing a place to get some comfort and, and some, some hope, if you will? Absolutely, on a daily basis. And before you uh, started here, with uh, Pastor Sam in the Harbor Church. Can you tell us a little bit about your family of origin, your background, and, and just your own personal journey in life? Absolutely. Um, I actually grew up in Santa Barbara. Um, my parents had divorced when I was three years old, so I was always going back and forth between two different worlds. My dad was, wasn't even middle class. He was kind of poor. Um, my mom and I and my uh, stepfather grew up on the Riviera, so I kind of had the best of both worlds, um, but still really confused, lost in my identity, who I was, always caught in this um, uh, custody battle. Um, grew up in a very addicted, alcoholic um, household. Um, most of my family were um, alcoholics, so I was always um, knowing adults um, as very unstable, um, but appearances were everything. So as long as it looked like we had everything together on the outside, it didn't matter what was going on in the inside. We just wanted to appear, you know, that we had it all together. So that confused me, caused a lot of um, identity issues for me, and um, just a lot of drama in my household. You know, I was a I was a parent before I was a child, and so I had to I had to be the parent, and I had to do a lot of the. Um, the stuff I never should have at such a young age. When you, uh, did there come a time where you left your family of origin? How old were you when you finally left home? I say I left, um, I started leaving at 14. I started rebelling and running away. But when I finally made the permanent split, I was about 17 years old. And when you decided to leave, uh, did you decide that, you, I mean, in some way, did you say to yourself, if I don't leave here, I'm going to die, or I just emotionally can no longer handle the trauma that's going on in this household? 
I think what it was is a combination of that manifesting into my own depression. So not being able to to find what I needed at home, I started to look at outside sources. And that was gangs, um, alcohol, um, started by taking sleeping pills every time I would come home. I didn't want to deal with anything. I didn't want to cope. I just wanted to check out. Because the pain was pretty intense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when at a young age, you started, a, I guess the, the word we would use would be self-medicate. Uh, yep. Just so you start feeding yourself whatever it is to make the pain go away, right? Numbing the pain. And the pain, you know, as, as children... One of the, 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 the things that I think our society doesn't always recognize is, you know, we're so concerned about physical abuse, but we don't recognize or understand that there's a lot of mental abuse that goes on. And I think our society is just now starting to understand that, you know, mental abuse is just as bad as physical abuse. Many times it's much worse. Would you, I, I think that's true. Would you say so? Well, yeah, absolutely, because even if you speak about it with somebody, it's still not as bad as the physical. So you just kind of learn, like, well, that's not really important. So you even start doubting yourself. And I think what happens, too, physical abuse is combined with mental abuse, because what's happening is when you're getting physically abused or mentally abused, um, you, you, you start to, I guess, in some respects, think that maybe this is normal. I mean, did you ever have a place where you thought to yourself, uh, like, you didn't know what... Uh, a normal family look like because the one you came from was so dysfunctional? It was dysfunctional. And I I would have friends and they would have a ton of family and I'd say, oh man, I want that. You know, not that I didn't find love and fun in my family because I did, but I definitely knew the difference. So you came from a pretty fluent background then. I did. Okay. So you leave home at 17. When you left, did your parents know you were leaving? Yes, they did. Did they approve of you leaving? Or were they very upset with you because you were leaving? They actually did approve of it. I was working, going to school, and I said, I want to get an apartment of my own. Did they help uh, finance that for you? So you were on your own financially at the age of 17. That's right. So uh, and where were you living in Southern California? Uh, Santa Barbara. I got an apartment with a friend. So uh, when you moved out, um, did there ever come a time, this is this early part of Mm -hmm. life, where your parents acknowledged you that they had hurt you? either emotionally or in any other way. Did they ever say to you, hey, we're sorry for the childhood that you had to grow up uh, in or, you know, we're we're sorry we didn't do a better job of parenting you? Did they ever say that? No, I think they were, um, they obviously did what they could, but they never acknowledged it because Mm -hmm. they had provided the um, physical needs. So, you know, the braces, the best schools, the private schools, the this and the that. So on the outside, that's what they looked at. Sam and I talked earlier about this idea of the blessing, where people can speak words of encouragement over their children. Did you ever get that from your parents? I was raised in a family where I knew I could be anything and do anything. So there was that element, because my mom was a successful businesswoman. So there was that element that sky was the limit for my future. So I did have that. Um, But the other type of encouragement, it was, again, it was just a really, really critical time for me. I mean, they were very critical on my, my, my whole life. Critical in the sense of not telling me good enough that you didn't matter if you got an A, you didn't get enough A's, didn't matter if you were in a sports team, you weren't the starter stuff, kind of stuff like that. It was more like the friends you're choosing are horrible. The boyfriends you would have are horrible. You know, just who you're becoming is not the person we intended you to ever become. 
And when you're hearing that, was that hurting you inside? Absolutely. Did you feel like it was causing you to be distant from your parents? Oh, I was pulling away. I was withdrawn. I didn't even want to be around him. And then I think you said you were suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. So when you moved out at 17, were you having depression even at that time? I would say so. But I also, and that was the period I would self-medicate. So to me... I was okay because I had that numbing agent to, to keep me okay. So now at 17, you have your apartment. Mm-hmm. And then did there come a time you started using um, stronger drugs or, or doing things that were more intense in terms of your physical body? Yeah. And when, when did that happen? 17 was the age I got um, hooked on heroin. Okay. So that's a pretty intense drug. Did you know, I mean, when that happened, did you just do it spontaneously? Did you give any thought to it before you started using heroin? Um, A boyfriend that I was serious with, um, he kind of hid it. He hid it from me. And then when I found out that he was doing the heroin, for six months I tried to be the fixer and try to get him off. And I constantly was checking his eyes and being like the parole officer. And finally when I knew he wasn't going to beat it, I said, if I can't beat him, I'm going to join him. And when that happened, uh, how old were you? 17? 17. <clears throat> Did you have any kind of faith at that time? Did you even know who God was? Or You know, and that was the biggest blessing of my father was that at 14, he led me to the Lord. So he I did. always knew um, that I would, I always knew and believed in God. It, right when I accepted the Lord, the enemy came and uh, took me t- to the other path. I mean, okay. it was almost just the timing was immediate. So when this when this is happening with you at 17 and the heroin use starts, inside, um, you're still coping with the pain of how you were raised. Mm-hmm. There's still that hole there that's not being filled that's emotionally. Right. So a lot of what's happening in some respects, if I'm understanding you, mm-hmm. is you're, you're thinking, you know, I'm in so much pain. That's right. That I need to find a way to get this pain and just stop. Mm-hmm. Even if it's taking heroin, I just want the pain to stop. Is mm-hmm. that kind of where you were at that time? I, I just remember well, I wanted to feel normal. I wanted to feel like everyone else. I never felt like I was like you or like you. I always knew I was different. And so when so and you're thinking, okay, if I take the heroin and the pain goes away, I can feel normal. Is that kind of yes, what you were thinking? Yes, and I did. And as we're sitting here today, that's kind of a bizarre concept, isn't it? Because we're thinking to ourselves, wow, to feel normal, I need to do an opiate that's very right? Difficult on the body and makes me addicted. But for the you who are listening, um, this is such an incredible story we're going to get to here in a minute. Um, Think about this uh, idea of how your emotions and your mind sometimes get taken into places you never thought they would go. Because we get misled because we start believing lies, don't we? And I know in my own life, I was told a lot of lies that caused me to do a lot of bad things mm-hmm. in terms of hurting myself, even when I thought I was maybe helping myself. That's right. Um, and so, so okay, so you start using heroin at 17, your boyfriend's doing it with you. And, and when, this, when this happened, um, did your life, and I know you were saying you started to feel normal. What, were you working? Were you going to school at this time? I, I was working for an advertising company, and... Um, about two or three months away from completely graduating high school. And uh, did you finish high school? I did. I did. Okay. And then after that, did you go to college? Um, I put that off for a long, long time. 
So you start using at 17. Mm-hmm. How Did you continue to use heroin for a period of time afterwards? Uh, yeah, 15 years after. 15 years. Mm-hmm. And and during that 15 years, if you could just describe for us, uh, where did that end up taking you, that 15-year period? Uh, eventually, um, after overdosing about six times, um, being flatlined in the hospital, then um, having to call my family members in because I was going to die. Um, I'd go right back out. I ended up going to jail 10 times, and eventually I went to um, state prison. Okay. And was that because you were using the the, uh, the drugs? It was always because of the heroin, yes. Okay. And ultimately, when we talk about everything that you just talked about, almost dying, um, using Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you lost your job at some point. I did because of drug use. Going into a correctional institute, all of it really goes back to that place, which was I'm hurting emotionally. There's a hole inside of me, and I just want to feel normal. Would you say that's about what was happening for yes, you? Yes, because I knew I wasn't an immoral bad person. I was only doing it because of the emotional issues. But they always being treated as a criminal. And what happens, I think, in life, and 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 uh, you know, for all of us, if we're really honest, I think anybody that you would talk to, if you ask them, be honest with me, how do you really feel today? Most people, I think, would say, even if you walk with the Lord, um, I need to be loved today. That's I right. need to be accepted today. I need to be encouraged today. I need to be appreciated today. We all need that, don't we? Mm-hmm. And isn't it true? I mean, I think what you're and I could just see your eyes right now. Your face is lit up, and it's mm-hmm. so encouraging. Um, but we really need that, don't we, in life? Yes, more than more than we even know. We even know. So okay, so so uh, at at some point, um, you got to the place where you said, "I just can't do this anymore." Did that happen for you? Yeah, and you know, I, I it happened more than once. I unfortunately I wasn't one of those that learned their lesson. You know, I would there the the wounds were so deep that it was a consistent thing. I would make a decision, and then I'd always fall right back into the same thing. During this fifteen years where you're using heroin and you're 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 in this uh, difficult situation because of the addiction. What, what things did God do to let you know he was still there for you, even in the midst of your addiction? Mm. I think the, the biggest thing is um, without fail, every time I would cry out to God, he would come to my rescue. It was like you you knew that that was kind of wrong inside your heart, or you thought it was. Like, this is the only time I, I cry out. But there were so many times um, where the doctor said, Jenny, it's only by a miracle that you're looking at us today. I mean, there was a, the time when they were going to pump my heart to keep me going, and I'd wake up, and they go, we don't even know how you're, you're breathing right now. Um, so um, numerous times him bringing me back to life, um, the the – car wrecks and the, all the crises I always got into, um, he was always right there to, to pull me out. Even when I was in jail, I would cry out and go, Lord, Lord, I'm so tired of this. I can't go on anymore. And he would send me somebody to speak to me, a chaplain, and, and to let me know that he was right there. And the minute I would surrender, he would make everything right. So th- When you were going through all of this, Did there ever come a time where you you, just, you didn't have hope anymore? You just felt like, I just can't go another day? Or did you feel, in some sense, 
I know this is bad. I know I'm down to the worst place I can be. But I know if I turn my face to God, I can have victory through him. The times where I was so desperate and so addicted and knowing that um, in my heart, on my own strength, there was no way out, I have to say I always did have a hope that kept me going. I never attempted suicide. I never, um, I always knew that he would make it right. He would make it right in the end. I just always knew. And that kept kept you going. going. Did there come a time during this 15 years where... Uh, you didn't have a place to live or you just didn't even have the ability to even pay for food because of your addiction? Yeah, if we fast forward, um, and that was finally my last bottom. I I had done the jails, the the death, the institutions. I had done all that, you know, and then there was still, I could say, you know, well, it hasn't taken me to homelessness yet. So eventually um, my um, my last run with drug addiction, landed me homeless. And when you were homeless, uh, what, what city were you in when you were homeless? When I became homeless, I was residing in Oxnard. Okay, and when you say homeless, I mean, were you living in your car? Were you living on the street? Were you in a tent somewhere? Well, we actually, um, we couldn't pay rent anymore. So I remember the day we were sitting in an empty apartment, um, used every single dime we had to get another fix. And we were sitting in an empty, cold apartment with no electricity. (sighs) Saying we had to pack up the van. Because we were finally homeless. And when you say we, who who was we? It was my fiancé at the time. My husband now. Guillermo. There's people out there listening to this program. Maybe they're addicted to heroin right now. Maybe they're addicted to cocaine. Could be prescription drugs. You know, there's a lot of people who are addicted to prescription drugs, Vicodin, whatever it might be. And for those people who are listening right now who are saying, okay, I'm where you are or were. I have this addiction going on. It's nasty. It's got a hold around my neck. I'm a slave to it. What can you share with them from your own experience to help them understand that in the midst of the darkness, there is light, there can be victory, there can be that moment where God steps in and resurrects their life like he resurrected his son so that they can be healthy and enjoy what God has for them. The best way I can describe when that happened um, is through a story. Um, Guillermo and I, uh, while we still had our apartment, we went into the bathroom. And the bathroom is where we did our drugs, smoked crack, shot up heroin. Um, And one day, we go into the bathroom. And um, in order to inject heroin, obviously, you have to, you know, hit your arms and there's blood. So the needles had caused um, blood, and I just remember we were both bloody all over our arms, him and I, because we had been searching desperately for a vein to get the drugs in. And I remember looking at the mirror, and seeing myself covered in blood, and thinking of Jesus on the cross. But this is something that I had done to myself. And I saw 
a thing on, on my mirror that said, what would Jesus do? And thinking about him stretching out his arms, bloody, dying for me, and thinking that this is what I had done to myself. And the minute we looked at that, Guillermo started praying, and we started crying, both of us. We got on our knees, and we said, God, we can't do this anymore. And we were desperate. And the minute we had cried out, God came in that room, and he started telling us how valuable we were and that we were his children and that nothing could separate us from his love. And we started to have hope, and we said, Guillermo, guess he, me and Guillermo looked at each other, and we hugged each other, and we just stayed silent for a minute. And we said, we're going to get through this. But it was that moment, in our darkest moment, with bloodied arms, we were a mess. God came to us and said, I love you, my children, and I accept you, and you are valuable, and you have a future, and you have a hope. And he loved us, and we will never forget that moment as long as we live. So for those who are listening right now, what would you say to them to give them encouragement and hope that they, too— can be victorious through the Lord the way you and your husband were able to do that? Well, I would just say I've been addicted to every single drug, and there's not um, somebody who has gone too far that they can't be redeemed by God. One thing I can say is I never, never stopped praying. In my darkest hours, in my highest state, I never stopped praying. And God was always there for me. And it didn't matter how far I had gone. I just want to encourage you that it doesn't matter how dark you think you are, how unredeemable you are, God can go into your darkest hour and bring you back from the pit of hell. And uh, that's what he did for me. He has broken every single bondage in my life, Uh, mental illness, heroin addiction, coke addiction, depression, anxiety disorder, insomnia. He has taken everything and redeemed it all for his glory. I'm going to jump to, is it Guillermo? Yes, because I know while he was listening to you, his wife, talk, he was about ready to come out of his chair because I think there's some <laughs> things he wants to share, too. So, Guillermo, I want to ask you for a moment. Okay, mm-hmm. you heard your wife just talking about that moment, the bloodied arms, looking in the mirror. Tell me what that meant to you. Tell, I want to hear from you about that experience and, and your um, your truth, if you will, of what happened at, at, when you were looking in the mirror with bloodied arms. Well, um, uh, she remembers pretty good. Uh, some of those things I didn't remember, but uh, what I really wanted to, all that happened, uh, um, but what I really wanted to say was that uh, uh, once we hugged and, and, and we cried and, and, and we knew that the Lord had uh, was coming in and going to do something with our situation, I'm going to say that it wasn't a, a, a snap of a, of a solution. We, from there, we still got in our van. We left. Uh, we were homeless for four, six months. Um, something that I never thought that I would do, that I ended up with a sign, holding a sign. Um, um, uh, you know, we were on the streets. And, uh, um, and when you said you had a sign... Was that like a cardboard sign? Yeah, cardboard what sign. What did you write on that uh, sign? Well, that uh, different things. We tried different things. We're from out of town. We're on our way to Frisco or San Diego, and we got stranded. You know, we would go to gas stations and and just trying to find a uh, figure out a way to make 
over $100 every day to, to uh, meet our needs for our addiction. And that, that was my point. That was what I want to ask you because your wife's shaking her head right now. Even though you're bloodied, you, you're praying, God's coming, mm-hmm. the addiction's so powerful oh, yeah. that you guys are saying, hey, we got to get some money because we still need our fix, That's right. right? That's right. Yeah, that wasn't the, you know, that was just we uh, um, now could see it from from uh, a different point that God, uh, it, he was all over this, but it was still a process. Is He's not going to... Um, like do and he could take addiction from a person, and I know of people that that's happened to, but that didn't happen with us. Okay, we still had to go through the process, and and uh, uh, after about six months, that's when we ended up uh, here in this church. Now the process, uh, you know, it, it's easy to say, but I really truly believe this. Being here with you right now. My sense is that the Lord allowed that process to teach you more that you could share with others to help them on their journey. Yes. Do you guys feel that that's what happened? Jenny, do you want to? Yeah, I do. And you know what? That's something the Lord told me when I got here. He goes, I allowed the homelessness because how else could you relate to those who walk walk the streets? Because just because we people have compassionate hearts, it's one thing to see it and to love the person through it, but it's another thing when you yourself have experienced it. And he goes, that's why I allowed it. And also for, for this church and, and those who are listening, I think we all recognize when someone comes to you and says, well, I've been on the street and, and you don't know how I feel, you can legitimately say to them, yes, I do know how you feel because I've been there or worse. Right? Is that be right, Jenny? And it's happened many times. And through that, the Lord is using you through that experience to help others because you've been where they've been or worse. That's right. So, Guillermo, I want to hear more about this journey. Okay, so you're, you got the signs. You're trying to get 100 bucks a day. And you said it took about six months until you finally Four, reached months. a place where you could get some healing. Totally, absolutely tired of what, what we were doing. Just having, there was not a day of rest. It's 24-7 that we had to be hustling to make the money to stay afloat, not to get sick. And through, it was a lot of heartache and a lot of uh, uh, pain, you know, and just tired of being sick and tired of what we were doing and, and no way, no cure inside, you know. Were you and your wife married at this time? No, no, we so were So you were not. still engaged. So you're literally on the street. Did you have a place to sleep at night? The van. So you're sleeping in the van. Yes. During the day, you're on street corners or streets trying to get money. <laughs> Did people give you money? Yes, yes, we we've uh, I mean through lies and and manipulation of of just you know uh, uh, the need you know we did anything that we could to to get our make sure we got our money. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and some of the things that happened to you. And I want to hear about your first encounter with the Lord as well. But let's talk about your childhood first. Okay, well my childhood was. Um, uh, didn't my dad was not around. Um, I was born here, but uh, raised in Mexico, and uh, he, uh, um, my dad was here, so I, I didn't have a, a, a dad figure in my life. So um, he passed away. He died in an accident in 1970 in Goleta, California, and we came back from Mexico to bury him, and we stayed here. And, uh, this is you and your mother. Yes, Did you have my, some my mother and, and brothers, and I have sisters also. 
And and uh, um, as when I was living in Mexico, um, uh, there was a um, situation where where I got molested as a child. So um, was that, it a male person who did yes, that to you? Yes. Okay. And how old were you? I was I would say about eight or nine. Okay. So that really was I mean trauma. Yeah, trauma, trauma and confusion. Okay. Yeah. Because in Mexico, it's a lot of machismo. Yeah. Right. So yes. if you were to say to somebody, oh, I had a male person physically mm-hmm. abuse me, that would be very embarrassing to say that. And would that yes. be right? Yes, totally. And then also people would probably judge you quite a bit. Even though you're the victim, yeah. they look down on you and they judge you, wouldn't they? Yes. Even in our own country, we do that too. And then we're, we're going we're gonna to do a whole separate episode on that issue later in, this, in, in the show. But so you're in Mexico, you're young, your father's not with you. The male figure probably was someone. Was he related to you, the person who did this to you? No, no, no not a really. Friend of the family. Yeah, we live in a very poor area, of Mexico, and, okay. and and I was just out of the house. All right. Uh, when this happened, so this happened. So psychologically, emotionally, and like you said, causes confusion. Yeah. But it's probably much worse than that. Probably all kinds of identity issues, and probably. Too in your mind. I mean, uh, I have my own story with some of this stuff, but I'm sure um, besides the confusion, there's probably a sense of guilt because when this happens, many times as a young person, you think, "Well, I guess I did something that I deserve this." Did you have those kind of feelings a little bit? Yeah, uh, I had those feelings, and and I knew that I couldn't tell anyone all this. Uh, uh, so you had to bottle it all up. Yeah, and and uh, I didn't know who I was. And and uh, uh, so uh, I really felt uh, like I was not very w- worthy of much, and uh, especially so, someone loving you, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you're when this happens and you say I'm not worthy of much. Really, what you're saying is, hey, I didn't deserve to be loved. Yeah, is that what? You're yeah, saying? yeah. And and you know what happened is that uh, one, you know, a few years later when I came back to the United States. Uh, um, People would tell me, hey, you're really good at this, but I didn't feel like I was good at anything because I, had, I didn't have any self-worth. And, and, that, uh, and, and did, did anybody ever speak the blessing over you, meaning words of encouragement, or were you receiving negative words? I mean, how was your mom No, you? my mom was so good at uh, rest in peace. She was awesome. She always says you're... you're you know, positive uh, So your input. mother did give you the blessing. Oh, yes, yes. So where was all of these thoughts in your mind well, coming just from? Well, from, I believe that from what had happened to me. Meaning when just, you were molested. Just when I was molested and not having a, a father figure in my okay. life to encourage me and, right. you know. And just while we're on that topic for a moment, for those who are listening, we will have future uh, episodes where we're going to be talking about the power of the father and the mother in the family. We're going to talk about family dynamics, and we will get into things uh, about the blessing or like the curse that Sam and I recently mm-hmm. talked about. So so just know that that, that is coming in future uh, shows. So, so, okay, so you have this thought, and how old are you when you first get into trouble with the law? I was about 17 that I started, and but... Um, I started doing drugs and drinking at 14. And when you started that, was that here in the United States? Or was yes. It in Ma- okay, yes, United States. Here. Your wife was talking about this idea that she's doing this to fill the, the pain that she had inside or to mask it or to numb it. 
Is that how you were as well? I, I think, thinking back, I, I totally, um, as soon as I took my first drink, I felt like, okay, this is the cure for what I'm feeling. Because you had all that pain. Yeah. And so your wife said, hey, as crazy as it sounds, when I started to do the drugs, when I started to do whatever, I felt normal. Did that yeah. happen yeah. for you too? Yeah, well, it just took the pain for the time. I mean, I didn't like the headaches, the, the, the hangover the next day. But, but you know, for the time that I was drinking, it, it, I felt like everything is okay right now. Okay. And um, so you, you, you're drinking and you start doing drugs too at this time? Yes. What kind of drugs were you uh, doing? I started doing uh, hard drugs. Uh, first, uh, for a little bit, I, I, I smoked weed. Uh, marijuana and then uh, but right after that i just went straight to heroin wow so you didn't even have anything between marijuana <laughs> and heroin okay and so when this when this happened for you did, did the drug use cause you to break the law and to do things you just never wouldn't do oh, in yeah. a normal state of mind totally totally um you know you started i have to uh, the 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 cost of the drug is is too it was too high for me to to be able to afford it so I had to do whatever I needed to do to get it. Meaning burglary or stealing. stealing. From the family, you know, just things that you would not normally do, you know, because of... Because you're just desperate to get money for the drug. Mm -hmm. Did Did you ever... Was anybody talking to you about God at all when you were younger? Did you have any type of uh, background uh, in uh, the church or, or with anybody who said, hey, there's a God out there that loves you when you were younger? But Yes, but I didn't... But you didn't really understand it. At that time, it. I didn't understand it. It, it took a, quite a while for that to happen. The, uh, so really, when this is going on, you, you kind of knew God was around. I knew, but you didn't really know what that meant. I knew about a God, but I didn't have a, like a personal, personal relationship, relationship with him. Yeah, and and so okay, so you get uh, you're you're younger, you're in your teens, in your twenties. So you start doing things, and then you get arrested. Yes. Okay, and then you got sent to prison. Sent to prison at the age of twenty seven, and that's when it started. And it was a revolving door, five prison terms. You know, and from 27 till uh, 48 years old. 27 to 48. Yes. For like 21 years. Yes. 21 years of prison mm-hmm. life in California. Yes. During that time when uh, you were in, in, uh, incarcerated, I know that the prisons and and the institutions have, uh, they, I know they have church services or they have the ability to learn more about God. Did that happen for you at all? Or did you even have any interest in knowing about God? Yeah. Oh, yes. The, the, that's when it started, the first time that I went to prison. But I had already accepted the Lord. I didn't know what it meant, but I accepted him in my life. I said, okay, maybe he'll he'll change me or something. Because your hope was maybe he can make the pain go away. Yeah, yes. Right? Yeah, so so as I went to the to prison the first time, I was very involved. I, I'm a musician, and I started playing in, at the at the church there. And, and uh, I, every day I would go to church. I was really on fire for the Lord in there, and just ministering in the yard and just doing um, uh, everything for that I could. But then ultimately we get released. Released, and would you fall back into the drug use again? Yes, and okay. and it's like like. You leave the, the, the Bible at the gate. Meaning at, much. The, at the present. And yeah. <laughs> you leave it there and, and not carry it through, you know. Right. And now, the question I have, I know the answer, and your wife's shaking her head because she already knows what I'm going to ask, but <laughs> even though I haven't said it, but she knows. <laughs> um, really, what's happening with you right now is 
you kind of like all of us, you, you, you came to the Lord in a time of desperation or maybe a time of quiet solitude in the prison. You accept them. But when you're given a chance to be bad again or to do things that you kind of know internally, hey, I shouldn't be doing this, we're weak, so we start doing it again. And when that was happening, did you ever feel that God was walking away from you, or was it more you're walking away from God? It it was more me walking away from him because I already knew that that there was a sense I know that he existed and that he was doing things in my life, but I was walking away. I I made the decision, the wrong took the wrong decisions to go back to drugs, and sometimes I wouldn't even understand why did I just do this, you know? Because the end every time I would end up back in jail, you know. And was, when and when this was happening, you say, "Why am I doing this?" <clears throat> Were you in some way? Still trying to deal with that hole inside of you from childhood, trying to fix the pain? Absolutely. You know, thinking back to all that, it's just, okay, you know, now that I'm getting my head is clear, I, I see I see it like very clear. And and it's just, I was just running away from from the person that, that, that I thought that I was. I didn't have an identity. And and uh, I just thought that I was this person that was no good, that that needed to numb the pain to just make it another day. So I'm going to go back to you, Jenny, for a minute. And Guillermo, I'll get back to you. Jenny, tell me a little bit. Okay, so we you're in the van. You guys have this thing. You're getting 100 bucks. You're telling people what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. But, but that didn't continue, did it? It no. eventually stopped, didn't it? That's right. And what 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 was it that stopped that uh, that activity? Well, I think something shifted because um, Guillermo and I, like I said, we had never stopped praying. But we finally came to the end of our rope and said, you know what, we we've got to do something different. And we decided we had we had heard that there was a place that accepted people to take showers. I remember all the doors had been closed to us. We couldn't go to any family members anymore. He's got a huge family. My family had always let me in, and those doors closed. So now we were in need of a shower. And I was crying. I was. I grew up such a brat. I had everything I need, and I go, I need to shower. So I remember there was a church that offered showers. So we make our way over here. And, and this is to Sam's church, the Harbor Sam, Church. To the one we're here now, Harbor Community. Um, I remember walking through the doors, and I felt this sense of relief right when we walked in. You could feel the presence of God unlike any church we had, had, had ever been. And, and mind you, we had been... Um, uh, told from another church, you guys, ha- we have to release you. You, you got to go. We have to. We have to send you out. You, you can't be here anymore either. So, uh, families, a church, and so when we're walking in as prodigal children, we were defeated. We had we had lost everything. So as we walk in, we experience the presence of God. We had people um, hear our story, and we told Pastor Sam. We said, Pastor Sam, our plan, we, we need to get on methadone clinic. We're highly addicted to heroin. The withdrawals are too intense. There's no hope of withdrawing on the street. We need a program. So immediately they said, if you can pay half of it, we'll pay half of it. You do your part, we do our part. And uh, we've been here ever since. And how long has that been? Three years. Incredible. And the two of you are now married. And uh, you and your husband uh, started to... Uh, participate in the program. And so just tell me a little bit about what you do today, you and your husband here at the Harbor Church. 
Well, we, uh, we minister daily. Um, we're on uh, part of the leadership team, and um, daily we oversee the operation here. Um, I get to lead the prayer and the Bible studies, and daily I get to minister to addicts that are coming in homeless that have no hope. I pray with them. I minister deliverance. Uh, everything that, I can, that I've given, I've been able to give away. Freely I've received, freely I, I give on a daily basis. So just to conclude today, I just want to ask the two of you, uh, what final words of encouragement can you give to people? Jenny, first you, and then you, Guillermo. Yeah, this has been kind of burning a hole in me. Um, What the Lord's trying to say is it doesn't matter how many times you've had defeat. Defeat was something I was so familiar with. It doesn't matter if you've fallen uh, back to a sin uh, a million times. Um, You will have victory. If you believe in God and you keep crying out, one day you will have your miracle. One day you will be completely set free like I am. So don't let the defeat be a sign to you that you're hopeless. Let defeat uh, be a sign to you that uh, victory is on its way. So don't stop believing. Keep crying out. God does hear you. He's never left you. He never will leave you. Um, Your victory is coming. Beautiful. And Guillermo, final words from you. Uh, I would say that, <clears throat> sorry, I got a little cough going. <clears throat> I would say that, you know, the Bible says that there's nothing impossible for them that believe. And um, and I just pray for anyone that just believe that God could change a circumstance in your life, and He will. He totally will. Just believe and uh, um, like I said before, what he does for one, he'll do for another. What he did for me, he'll do it for anyone. And uh, I didn't used to believe that, but now I believe it because he did that for me. I've been through so many trials and tribulations in my life where I should have been dead. And, and, he, and God had mercy on me. And uh, um, he's a merciful God. And, and uh, he, uh, he's there for anyone that, call, that cries out to him. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it. And we'll visit with you again in the future at some point. Thank Thank you you for having us. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to T. Randolph and Friends. Please write to us or check out our website, blog, and conversations at trandolphandfriends.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on topics and guest ideas for future shows. We are Listening to Life.